morning. Uh, welcome home. It's time for Children's Church, so get going. Um, Revelation 3, that's where we are this morning. Please open your Bibles there. Revelation 3, if uh, you don't have a Bible, you might check under the seat in front of you. If you're there, we're on page 885. Um, Last of the letters to the churches uh, in Revelation, chapters 2 and 3, and you know we've been there for a little while. And the good news is Jesus saved the worst for last. Not, not the letter, but the church. And as we're going to see, uh, this with certain circles of Bible scholars is known as the church that makes Jesus puke. Yes, and you'll see why in just a bit. Um, Jesus has really nothing commendable, nothing really encouraging um, to say to this church. Well, it is encouraging, but nothing to compliment them on. Um, but here's the thing, that on the surface, the church in Laodicea doesn't look that bad. And, and maybe that's the biggest danger. Before we dig in, I know this is Thanksgiving week, and I, I know uh, a lot of you are traveling. You'll, you'll be getting together with loved ones, and I, I, I encourage you to count your blessings. That is a great thing to do. It makes God very happy. But as we prepare to count our blessings, I want to ask you this question. I want us all to wrestle with this. What if your blessings are your biggest problem? What if your blessings are your biggest problem? What I mean by that is what if blessings can become what separates us from Jesus? Wouldn't, wouldn't that be awful? Because... Because that's exactly the opposite. Um, because when Jesus blesses us in any way, whether it's life, health, food, money, your job, family, friends, shelter, uh, your hobbies, recreation, uh, a comfortable, warm place to sleep, a house, an apartment, some dwelling, um, any of those blessings, we can, it's to um, point our hearts back to him in gratitude, in praise, in thanksgiving, which we're getting ready to do. But here's, here's the thing we're wrestling with this morning. What if our blessings could do the exact opposite because our hearts are wrecked? What if we let Jesus' blessings um, tear us away from him, distract us from, from Jesus? Here's the thing. We can become more about the blessings than the one who blesses us. And that is a huge problem here in America. Regardless of who we are or how much or how little we have, here's a question for us to wrestle with this morning. Have you made your blessings your biggest problem? Can you have a heart destroyed by blessings? The answer for the people in the church at Laodicea is a resounding yes. So I hope it's a no for us or if it's a yes that we get that taken care of. Let's go. Okay, as we usually do, we're going to read uh, the passage and then unpack it. Now, we're going to read the entire letter, although um, we're not going to work on verses 20 through 23 this week, this morning. Um, we're going to do that next week, and believe me, you do not want to miss it. I know uh, many of you uh, will be traveling, you'll be gone for Thanksgiving, but if there is any way that you can arrange your schedule to be here next week when we go through uh, Revelation 3, verses 20 through 23. I just want to encourage you in every way that I can to do it. And, and not only to be here, but 
encourage a friend or a family member, somebody you love and care about who really needs Jesus because what he is going to do next week is, is just powerful. And I don't, I don't mean that with regard to us or what we're doing or what I'm saying. Uh, he's going to show up and he's going to be in a rescuing, saving, blessing, embracing, new life giving mood. Trust me on that. Okay, here we go. Revelation 3, we're going to pick it up in verse 14 and we'll read the whole passage. Then we'll go back and, and, and see how he wants to change our lives with it. Okay, for, verse 14. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write this. The words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. He says this in verse 15. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say... I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. See, he, before we close it up, he's, he's wanting them to be healed. He's wanting them to be put together. So he wants us. Good, right? You got that? 19, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Verse 20, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. To the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Okay, okay. Now Jesus, the first thing I want you to notice is Jesus does not mention the most obvious sins that are common in some of the other churches he's written to. We do not see the the church in Laodicea criticized for tolerating sin, sexual immorality, idolatry, uh, cutting and pasting their, their faith, their beliefs from various sources, any place they want. He's not criticizing them for that like the other churches. But this church is in a very dangerous condition, worse, in fact, than any of the others. And Jesus is warning that this, his warning to this church is the most severe yet. Now, this is the book of what? Revelation. And the root word of revelation is what? Right, reveal. reveal. Who said church wasn't educational? You just got that for free. You just got that for free. Okay, so reveal is the point of this book. Now, it has something in common with not only this book, but all of Scripture, Old Testament and New, from Genesis 1 to the maps in the back. All of Scripture is doing this, revealing. And and with every Scripture, with these Scriptures, with every letter that we've studied, including this one, Jesus is revealing three things. Now, before we dive in, we need to know Jesus is revealing these three things. Number one, he reveals himself. 
He reveals himself in all his glory and holiness and loveliness so he can be right there standing in front of us and we can behold him for all that he is, for all that we need. Okay, not the way that we imagine Jesus is, not the way we think God is and what his heart and character are like, but as he truly is, he reveals that. The second thing he reveals is who we are. So he reveals who he is and then he reveals who we are. Now, not... The, not the me that I see in the mirror, not the, not the person that I want you to think that I am, not the person that we like to believe that we are, but deep down, who are we? He reveals that. So he reveals one, he reveals himself. Number two, he reveals who we truly are deep down at a heart and soul level. And three, and you can't miss this or you'll miss the blessing of the gospel. Number three, he reveals that in his love, in his grace, in his mercy, that he can bring those two things, who he is and who we are, together, no matter how far apart they are. And that's the third thing that he reveals, and he's gonna reveal it here. So always remember that. Okay, so what's he doing here? Um, That is what he's doing here, but let's take a look at verse 14 and see how he starts to reveal himself. Verse 14, and to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write the words of the amen. The amen, okay, stop there. Now that's weird, the amen. Jesus is calling himself the amen. Now, when I first read that verse many, many years ago, um, that seemed strange to me. And it may seem strange to you because I grew up thinking that amen was the hang-up word in, in the conversation with God, when you're praying, right? That's it, I'm done, I'm done talking, done asking for stuff, TTYL God, okie dokie, amen, right? But you may be surprised that's not actually what it means. Jesus is saying, he is the amen. Jesus is all that. Jesus is all that, as opposed to what? All this. All the stuff in the world that surrounds us and seduces us. He is the amen. Jesus is saying, I deserve to be your everything. Your everything. Not your something, not your sometimes, not your nothing, not your no times. I deserve to be your everything. I created you to find your everything in me. I am the amen, the so be it, the it is done, the fullness of God. Second Corinthians 1.20 um, puts it this way. It says, for all the promises of God find their yes in him. Now who's him? It's Jesus, right? And some translations, instead of that big word yes, you see it's in capital letters, the Y, that's the amen. That's the same thing for all the promises, every single one of them, all the promises of God find their yes, their amen in Jesus. This is why it is through him, through Jesus, excuse me, that we utter, we say, we cry out our amen to God for his glory. What it's saying is because Jesus is all that, because Jesus is our everything, because Jesus is what we hunger and thirst for and need, because he is all that for us, we receive that and we cry out to him, we utter as it says, our amen back to him. Yes, you are my everything. Yes, you are all that for me. 
Here's the question. Have you done that? Have you and I done that? I urge you to if you haven't. What it's saying in Jesus being the amen, in Jesus being all the fulfillment of all the promises of God, that everything other than Jesus is not yes and amen. Everything other than Jesus is not yes and amen, but no and you'll need more of this, right? And can we relate? You'll need more of what hasn't satisfied you to not satisfy you in the future. That's what it's saying. Everything other than Jesus is not yes and amen, but no, and you need more. He's saying, I am enough for you. I am enough for you. I created you to find your satisfaction, your enoughness, your enoughness. Now, my spell checker said that's not a real word, but I think it is. You get what I mean. You, you, you tracking with me? Your enoughness, your satisfaction in me and only in me, not in my stuff, not in my blessings. The problem with the church in Laodicea is this, the, the, the theme song for their life, for their faith, for their, for their walk with God is, I can't get no satisfaction. And I try, and I try, but I can't get no. No, no, no. Okay, it's time for us to go back to our root scripture in Revelation 3. Here we go. He not only calls himself the amen in verse 14, but he is also the faithful and true witness. Get this, the beginning of God's creation. Now, what does that mean? What is Jesus saying about himself? That God the Father, is he saying that God the Father created Jesus? No, no. Because we know, if you're familiar with the Bible, if you're familiar with the concept of the Trinity, that the Father, God the Father, God the Son, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit are all co-eternal. What that means is they have always been, they are eternal in both directions. Eternity past and eternity future. Jesus was not created. There was never a time, in other words, when Jesus wasn't. Before Bethlehem, before the first Christmas, Jesus is there going farther back. When, when dinosaurs roam the earth, Jesus is there going farther back still. When the stars were lit and hung in the sky, Jesus is there going further back still. The last time the Broncos won the Super Bowl, Jesus is there. Jesus is there. He is eternal. He is the great I am the beginning of God's creation does not mean in order, in the order sequence of God's creation, but the authority over all creation. Here, let's take a, a closer look. John 1, the first chapter of the Gospel of John, it mirrors the, uh, the beginning of the Bible, the book of Genesis, as it starts out in verse 1, in the beginning. You see that? In the beginning was the Word. Now look, Word has a capital W right? That's Jesus. Jesus is the word, okay? You see that? Jesus was the original W. Okay. Now, in the beginning was the word. It was Jesus. And the word was God. It was with God, rather. And the word was God. Verse 2, he was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. So Jesus is the creator God. The creator God. Without him was not anything made that was made. Now turn to uh, or, or, or look up on the screen for Colossians 1. This is amazing. And it uh, also defines the firstborn of all creation in a beautiful way. 
Um, verse 15, Colossians 1. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. Here it is. See that? The firstborn of all creation. Same phrase. And here's the definition in verse 16. For by him, by Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authority. Get this. See this. All things were created through him and for him. All things were created through him and for him. What does that mean? Can you, can you grasp that? My cool rock and shoes are for Jesus. My, our food for Jesus. The air that we breathe for Jesus. Your closet, everything that's in it for Jesus. Your time for Jesus. Do you see? If we saw everything. Your job for Jesus. Your family for Jesus. Everything through him and for him. So every blessing that we have needs to point our hearts, right, back to him. Needs to point our hearts back to him in praise and worship and thanksgiving. And here's what, here's what blessings are for. Two things. One, we just talked about. They turn our hearts back toward their source. We take them back to the source and that's Jesus so every blessing is made to point our hearts back toward him in praise and worship. And the second thing that blessings are intended to do is not only point our hearts toward him, but to be used to bless other people, to point their hearts back toward him. And that's what they're for. And we're gonna get to a little bit more of what that looks like in a little bit. But let's go back to Revelation 3 and verse 15. Jesus starts to address the church and, and the things about them. Here it is. 15 and 16. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Okay. Now, um, a little background, a little backstory on the church in Laodicea. Laodicea, beautiful, beautiful um, city. Um, they are very... Uh, Interestingly situated. They have something in common with the city of Denver in that they did not have a natural water source for their population. But unlike the city of Denver, they don't try to pilfer some beautiful western slope town like Gunnison to get their water, steal their water. What Laodicea has is two water sources that are provided to them. One, they have some hot springs, hot springs which they use for healing, right? They got a little bit of a spa set up there. It's pretty sweet. So the hot water comes up from the ground and it is used for healing. Now the cold water that they have piped in is refreshing. It's refreshing if you're thirsty, if you've worked hard, the cold water is refreshing. So the hot has a benefit in that it is healing. The cold has a benefit in that it is refreshing. The lukewarm, <coughs> excuse me, gotta get a drink. That was refreshing. Okay, so the lukewarm is a mixture of the two and it's not good for anything, right? So here we see people who are trying to make the world happy with them, who are trying to make God happy with them. And, and in doing so, they are this mixture that isn't good for either or anything. And Jesus says, I will spit you out of my mouth. Now spit out 
<clears throat> means reject. To reject. Now, if you have a Greek Bible, a Greek dictionary, you can look up the original words that were part of <clears throat> the, uh, the original scriptures that were meant, uh, written, and, and it can give you a deeper meaning of, of the text. And if you look up the original Greek word for spit you out of my mouth, here's what you find if you look it up. It says to blow chunks, to hurl, to throw up, to spew, to have the round-trip meal ticket. Now, perhaps I'm paraphrasing just a little bit, but you get the point that we know it's serious. This is the attitude that makes Jesus sick. Now, the word lukewarm, if you spent much time in churches, if, you, if you've heard a lot of um, preaching, you've probably heard a message on what lukewarmness is. In fact, I, I preached on, on this letter four years ago in this church, and it was very different um, because I did not at the time understand um, what, many, um, what many believe, and, and I believe the text is pointing us in a, in a slightly different direction, that lukewarm is not primarily about spiritual enthusiasm. It's, not, it, it's certainly involved in there, but it's not primarily about spiritual enthusiasm. It's certainly not encouraging us to be that rah, rah, Jesus, smiley, happy, clappy, Jesus cheerleader, turn that frown upside down. And then, you know, that kind of person, I think that makes Jesus sick too, because, you know, that kind of person, that's a surfacey thing. And they probably go home and they're depressed and all of that, but they're putting on this show. And Jesus, what he wants for us is that deep down, unshakable joy, not that surface happy, clappy stuff. What so lukewarm has not primarily to do with spiritual enthusiasm, what the text points us to is lukewarm has much more to do with where we find our treasure, where we find our ultimate satisfaction. Here's proof. Look at this. Watch this. Verse 17. For you say, now it starts with the word for, which is like because. You're lukewarm. I'm spitting you out because of this. And he doesn't say you're not enthusiastic. He says, for you say, I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and, and naked. Look, in the midst of all their blessings, in the midst of the richness, in the midst of all God has done for them, they say what? I am all that. I must be some spirit. I am rich. I have prospered. I need nothing. Not what Jesus wants them to say. Not the, the purpose of blessings, right? We talked about pointing their hearts back to him. They're not saying, Jesus, thank you. Thank you. You've revealed to to me who you are. You've revealed to me who I am. And I know how vastly far apart those two things are. And even knowing those two, few, those two different things, you treat me as if I'm your only love, as if I'm your only one. You treat me as one who, who has lived righteously. And only you have done that. And you, you bless me. 
Jesus, you are all that. Thank you. You, Jesus, are prosperity. You are blessing. Above all else, Jesus, I need you. If I have you, then, then I need nothing else. And if I have everything else and I don't have you, I have, I have nothing. What does your heart cry out in the midst of your blessings? That's what they say. Their blessings have blinded them to the one who has blessed them. Their blessings have become their biggest problem. Can you relate to that? I know I can. Don't we have this awful tendency to, to want Jesus' blessings more than we want Jesus? No, I don't. No, no, don't do it. Really? Really? What about your kids if you're a parent? What about your lifestyle? What about your wife or your husband or your boyfriend or your girlfriend? What about your home? What about your plans for the future? Do you want those more than you want Jesus? Oh, I I know I do sometimes. What does your closet say? What is the testimony of your garage and all the toys there? Hey, you know what um, people look for now? when they're shopping for a house, and unfortunately that's not often enough right now in this economy. Do they want a big fancy kitchen? Well, probably, but that's not what's driving them. Do they want these nice ornate bathrooms? Well, probably, but that's not the big issue. You know what people are looking for? Storage, big closets, big places with bins and drawers and shelves where they can keep all the stuff that they don't, that they can't live without but never use. Hey, I know of which I speak. I have a barn. When Shree and I moved there 14 years ago, it took about 18 months for us to sell our house in New Orleans, so we rented. But when we found the house, we have a barn. I never had a barn before. I know you look at me in my appearance, you're pretty shocked to know. I don't own livestock. I do not. So the barn was empty. You know what the barn is now? It's chock full. You can't even walk in there. I go into there. I see things I haven't seen in years. It's like it's new. Oh, well, that's nice to have. I don't need it, but I'm not getting rid of it, right? I wanted it. I got it. I'd like to think that stuff just magically appeared, but it didn't. I wanted it. I got it. Now, um, I want to say that you know, don't excuse yourself from this word from God because you may not have a lot of stuff, right? Because even poor people in this country have a lot of junk. They do, they do. Now, I, I wanna go back to something we talked about last week because it's still in the news, the Occupy Wall Street movement. Now, I'm not making a political statement. I don't know if you are uh, agree with that, disagree with it. It doesn't really matter. It's just an example. And, and here's what it's about. At its most basic level, the Occupy Wall Street movement is the 99% of the poorest Americans, which includes all of us right here, right? The 99% of the poorest Americans are protesting against the richest 1%, right? The, the, the tr- multi-multi-millionaires, billionaires, that group, because they're protesting that they have created the policies that are, that are manipulating the economy and benefiting 
themselves. So they're protesting against that, uh, the 99% against the 1%, the have-nots against the haves. Now, it's important for us to realize that while that may be true in America, regardless of how we feel about it, if we look at the globe, the whole world, everyone in this room, me included, is part of that richest 1%. And Jesus doesn't see any boundaries, any, any country borders. So we're part of that 1% on a global scale. Even our poor people. Excuse me. So why? Why do we accumulate? Why do we, we have this need to more and different stuff? Because we somehow believe, we somehow think that these things, this stuff, will bring us more joy than Jesus will. No, I don't think that. I know. I know that's the reaction, the, the reflex. But think about this. Think about this, if you still don't believe me. Take account. Take account of how much time, money, focus, and energy you put into getting or maintaining stuff. Think, take account how much time, focus, money, energy do you put into getting or maintaining your share of stuff over and against how much time, money, focus, and energy you put into seeking Jesus, pressing into him. And if you're honest and you do that, it will drive you to your knees in repentance. And I speak from experience because I have to preach this word and preach this message to myself before God will give me permission to preach it to you and share it among us. That if we take account of all the time and money and effort and focus we put in this stuff versus how much time and money and energy and focus we, we put into seeking him and seeking his heart and his face, we'll will repent. And that's what it's calling us to. Because, because it shows us what we really want. In the end, in the end, we ultimately get what it is we want out of life and in life and in our hearts. And that is the problem that we ultimately get what we want. Because as I've said in here before, we are all broken people, people wrecked with sin. And so our hearts have broken wanters. You, do, do you get that? We have broken wanters. We want the wrong things. We don't want eternal things. We want things now. We don't want spiritual things. We want material things. We don't want Jesus. We want his blessings. That's what having a broken wanter is. And that's why we need to repent. That's why the church in Laodicea needed to repent. And what that means is we need to do a U-turn. We need to agree with God and disagree with, our, with ourselves and the way that we've lived and come back to him and let him change our hearts that will change our ways and wash us clean and make us new. So we, we do think, think that more and different and better stuff is what's missing from our lives. Apple, and I know a lot of you are fans, Apple has this figured out down to a science with what they call what, planned obsolescence? Is that what, 
Yeah, planned obsolescence. Now, basically, what that means is they're trying to make you hate that cool new gadget that you just bought on credit and want within the next six weeks or six months the next release of that same thing. They want you to hate the very cool thing you just got and want the next one, right? I, you know, I will die if I do not get the iPhone 38 QRST because I need to be able to open my garage door, start my car, back it out, drive it to the uh, gas station, fill it up, drive it back to the house and make an egg white omelet all before I get out of bed. Now, come on. Seriously, now every garage sale is proof that what we really want is something other than Jesus. I believe there should be a, a huge sign out in front of every house because everybody in, in Gunnison, you know, in the, uh, in the spring and summer has a garage sale. You know, the poor have garage sales, the rich have garage sales, everybody in between has a garage sale. I think there ought to be a, a sign out in front with big letters that says, Come and see how jacked up I am. Because everything that you see here, there was a time when I thought I really needed this crap to bring joy to my life. And now you can have it all three for a dollar. Three for a dollar. That's it. Let's go deeper than that. Say, how can we go deeper than having a garage sale? Let's try. Do you want something other than Jesus? Do you love something or Jesus' blessings more than Jesus? What would your prayers say about that? Not how long or how often do you pray, but what do you pray for? What do you pray about? Are you constantly praying that God would bless you, that he would work things out for you, that he would give you more and more and bless you more? Or do you find yourself interceding for other people, that he would reveal himself, that he would open their eyes, open their hearts, open their minds to how much he loves them. What are you praying for? No, I'm not saying we shouldn't ask him for things as word says we should, but if that is the, the, the content of your prayer life, if that is the majority content of your prayer life, it might be a red flag that you want Jesus' blessings more than you want Jesus. How about your goals? How about your goals in life? in your career. How about your goals? Let me say this. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you are one of God's people, this Bible in every page, in every book would say that if you belong to God, your overarching goal of your life should be what Jesus' overarching goal is. What is that? It's the same as blessings, that he would be glorified, that he would be famous, that he would bless people, save people, redeem people, give new life to people by bringing them to him through his work on the cross. That he went to the cross in our place as our substitute for our sins and died there, the death that we deserved. And then he rose again to new life, overcoming death, hell, and the grave and the curse of sin over mankind. And the wrath of God, he overcame it all on our behalf and rose again to new life so he could give us new life. And and that is his goal, to redeem a lost world. And if you and I are people of God, if we're followers of Jesus Christ, that is our overarching goal. 
over all of the goals we might have to be a good husband, to be a good father, to be a good wife, to be a good mother, to be, a, to be successful in our careers. What is your goal? To be a great athlete, to be a great student. Your overarching goal should be Jesus' overarching goal. That he would be glorified, that he would be known, that he would be famous, that he would bring people home. It would change the way we see everything, wouldn't it? If we really had that as our goal, if our hearts changed, we would see everything, people, time, stuff, money, cars, work, houses, food, clothing, everything, everything differently, differently. Is that your goal? What the goal of all blessings are to point your heart to him, to point others' hearts toward him? I thought it was mine. Um, I thought it was mine. Uh, when I became one of the pastors here five years ago, God gave me a prayer that had never before been on my heart. And I knew that it was of him for that reason. And it was this, Lord, would you reach, would you save every person in this city? Would you reach would you save every person at the college, the students, the faculty, staff, everybody? Lord, would you revive this town? Would you let people know how much you love them? Let them see you as you truly are and, 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 and seduce them into loving you, into opening their hearts to your love. Would you please, would you please save the city? Father, give us this city. Give us this college for the sake of your son, Jesus. Lord, that's what I want more than anything. And I can't tell you how many times I've prayed that since the first, since the first, right? When I came. And, and um, until about, about a year or so ago, a little more than 12 months ago, I was praying that prayer as, as I often have and interceding for the city, interceding for the people of the college and just, just asking God to, in his mercy, send his spirit and, and save and revive and, and bring new life and bring all people to himself and saying, Lord, that's what I want more than anything. And that time was different because God said, really? Now, now God doesn't talk to me audibly. I don't, I don't mean to creep you out like that, but if you've heard from him enough, um, you know when he speaks to your heart, it's different than anything else, right? So I'm saying, yeah, this is what I want more than anything else. And he says, really? And I said, yes, Lord, that's, that's what I want. And I, I remember always, he said, that's what you want more than anything else. What if I don't use you to do it? What if I don't use you to do it? You still want that more than anything else? Well, if you're, if you're smart at that moment, and thank goodness I had some wisdom. You don't shoot from the hip and just answer God off the cuff, right? I had to find my own pride. I had to bring all my pride and all my sinfulness and selfishness and ego 
to God to, to forgive and change my heart until I could say to him, honestly, yes, Lord, that's what I want most. If you would just do that, then if you want, I'll sit the bench. I'll be anonymous. Just do it. I don't need to be that guy. I don't need to be the guy that you work through. I don't need to have the church that you use. Just reach people, save people, glorify your name, bring revival. And my heart is broken, not over, um, not over that truth, but over the pride. It's that subtle. It's, it's that subtle. Do you want it purely? Or at some level, do you want it as much so that you can have something to do with it? That's how subtle it is. Verse 17, let's get back to the text. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing, not realizing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. He's saying, Jesus is saying, you're fooling yourself, you're kidding yourself, you're lying to yourself. How? By the way you think about me, by the way you think about yourself, by the way you see your life, and by the things you say about what's really important to you, rather than the way things really are. You're kidding yourself. That's the landmine of being blessed. That's the landmine. Jesus is always the hero of every scripture. And Jesus should be the hero of every life, but he wasn't for the church in Laodicea. His blessings were the hero. Get this. Get this. These people allowed Jesus' blessings to distract them from Jesus, from himself. That's the landmine of blessings. You may ask, why doesn't God bless me with more material things? Because of our hearts. They may draw our hearts away from him in an attractive and comfortable way. Think about it. Jesus, Jesus gives me a nice house, a decent apartment. How desperate, how dependent, how dependent am I to see Jesus as my shelter? We walk into a, a, a walk-in closet full of clothes. How desperate, how dependent am I for Jesus to clothe me? I have a pantry. I have a refrigerator full of food. How desperate, how dependent am I for Jesus to be my very food and drink that sustains me? My, my father, when he was still alive, invented a new word. It's called schnegius. You can, you can use it now. It can be your word, schnegius. And it's used to describe something that I think we can all relate to when you're hungry, but you don't know what you want to eat. Now, if you're the parent of a teenager or you've ever been a teenager, you know of which I speak. You can stand in front of an open pantry, an open cupboard full of food. You can stand in front of the open door of a refrigerator with the light shining on your stomach and look at all the food and say, what? There's nothing to eat in this house. That's right. You know it, right? Only here, only in America. In that case, when there's so much, how desperate are we to have Jesus be our own our, our food and drink. You know, we say, you know, or you, you pick up the paper, you know, pick up the paper and you read that somebody's house has burned down, right? And, 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 the, and the remark is, oh, well, they got out. 
Thank goodness that they have their health. They have each other. That's what's important. They lost everything, but they have each other. And that's what you need to be grateful for. By the way, who put that dent in my car bumper? Is it the same person who finished off that last piece of milk without letting me know and took my last Diet Coke? Now look, it's the same. It's the same. Our blessings can drive us away from Jesus. Proverbs chapter 30, verses 8 and 9. Put it this way. It says, Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you. And say, Who is the Lord? Whatever. Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Now Augustine, St. Augustine, put it this way. He paraphrased it in a way that's easier to understand. Understanding his broken heart, his, his want are being broken. He said this, Lord, don't give me too little or I may starve and doubt your faithfulness. But please don't give me too much or I'll forget you. And Jesus is trying to lead us into the place of greatest blessing. And that is our treasure. The ultimate treasure is dependence on him, loving him more than we love his blessings. That gives him the glory he deserves and gives us what we most need and actually allows us, as we put him first above his blessings, to allow his blessings to do what they were intended to do, to point our hearts to him. And he's giving us ammunition or, or, or substance or, or the ability to bless others and point their hearts toward him as well. And, and verse 18, here's what we need. Here's what we need. He gives it back to Revelation 3, verse 18. I counsel you. I, here's my advice. I'm pleading with you. Here's my direction. Buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Do you see in all of this? He is wanting our best. He is wanting the highest and the greatest lasting blessings. And Jesus says, come by for it. What is Jesus into Amway now? Is he trying to sell us things? No, no. He's giving it all away by his grace, by his unmerited favor. He's lavishing blessings and love upon us. That's his desire. That's his desire. And he, it, it, one of my favorite scriptures, Isaiah 55, starting in, in the first verse. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, how do we buy without no money? Come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk. Come without money, without price. He's giving it to us. It's his. And you see, it says, come, 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 come. First verse is it four times for those of us who are slow to learn, right? Come means we have to leave the place we are and move to the place where he is. And that's what he's calling us to do. Verse two, why do you spend your money on that which is not bread? and your labor for that which does not satisfy. Listen to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and he says it again, come to me, hear that your soul may live. Come to me, come to me. It's all in him, not 
his blessings. They're not meant to be a cul-de-sac. They're not. It's all about our treasure and our dependence. Matthew 6, in, in verse 19 to 21, says this. Jesus is speaking. He says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasure where? Treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Verse 21, you need to see this. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What Jesus is saying is that our hearts and our treasures are inextricably duct taped together. They are inseparable and we can only have one. It will either be here in this life with our stuff or it will be with him, in him. And C.S. Lewis says, you seek the world and you get neither. You seek heaven and you get earth thrown in. He is saying, your heart and your treasure will be together. The church in Laodicea gave lip service to loving Jesus, to Jesus being their treasure. But their treasure was not in Jesus. It was in his stuff, his blessings. And the Bible calls that worldliness. And for the church, for too often, we define worldliness as not going to R-rated movies or not having a beer when we come home from work and not really, that's the extent of worldliness? I don't think so. 1 John 2.15 says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. That's worldliness, when we love the blessings, when we love the things, more than we love the blesser, more than we love Jesus. And we see in living color, in action, what worldliness does, what loving the world does. Um, 2 Timothy uh, chapter 4, verse 10, Paul writes this for Demas, for Demas, one of his friends and ministry partners. For Demas in love with this present world did what? deserted me and has gone on to Thessalonica. Demas, in love with the world, deserted Paul. Demas did not just desert Paul. Demas did not just desert his ministry. Demas deserted Jesus. And I guarantee you, one thing about this is that it didn't happen all at once. Demas just didn't desert Jesus and Paul all at once, but gradually. It's like death by a thousand nicks, abandonment by a thousand tiny distractions and steps. Before Demas deserted, Demas was distracted, and then he was distant, and then he drifted, and then he deserted. Have you done the same thing? Have you done the same thing? At first, it's so subtle that we almost don't notice it. But over time, it becomes desertion. And Jesus is calling us home. He is calling us home. Verse 19. Go back to Revelation 3, verse 19. Jesus is saying, in a sense here, I know this has been a hard word. I know this has been hard to hear hard to face up to, but in verse 19 he says, those whom I love, I reprove 
and discipline. So be zealous and repent. The only reason I point out things to you is because it's that which is holding you hostage. The only reason I, I show you who you are is because I can release you from the chains that are holding you prisoner. I want to heal you. Why? Those whom I love because I love you. That word for love is not agape. It is phileo. It is phileo, which means this. Even though you have acted as anything but my friends, I am still your friend. I still love you. Come home. You may have deserted me, but I will never desert you. Be zealous. Repent. Come home. How serious is this? How serious is this? In the following verses that I said we work on next week, verses 20 through 23, Jesus is outside the church trying to get in. He is outside the believer or outside of the person who thinks they're a believer, trying to get into their lives, trying to get into their heart, not in there trying to become more powerful, not trying to become more manifest. He's trying to get in because he's outside. They're kidding themselves. They're fooling themselves. For Thanksgiving, I, I, I'd like you to, um, well, backing up, we're going we're gonna to be talking in the new year about, about our blessings and using them for, uh, for what they were truly intended, to point our hearts to Jesus and everything extra that we have, everything extra that we have. Let's be honest I live in a house now, and my, my kids are gone. Therese, our kids are gone. You say you can't be old enough for that to be true. Thank you for saying that. But it is true. And we have three bedrooms that are not slept in, and we're doing nothing with them, and that is wrong. I have closets full of clothes of every style, of every size I have ever fit into, of every fashion and fad. And many of them I don't even wear, and that's wrong. And I have food in my house that I do not eat, and that's wrong. And I have disposable income at the end of the month after I've given to the church, after I've paid all our bills. And I'm not alleviating the suffering in our community, and that's wrong. We're going to enter into a year where we use God's blessings of any kind in our lives to really honor him, and he's going to lead us into something so beautiful the, the, the blessing of this city and the blessing of this college that we have never seen before. And through it, he's gonna draw many, many, many people to himself as we demonstrate the loving gospel that we talk about so often. We're going to love people like Jesus loves people so they can love Jesus like he loves them. They're gonna have living proof. So this Thanksgiving, um, before we land this plane, and yes, I am uh, coming to the end here, three things that... I'd like us to do. I'd like us to take stock of all of our blessings. And as we do so, as we count our blessings, that we take them back to their source. Everything from Jesus, everything through Jesus, everything for Jesus, and that they would well up within us in great thanksgiving, in great praise and celebration and worship. Number two, not only let our blessings and take them back, take, take them back to their source, but see if we're using those blessings for what blessings are for. 
for glorifying him in thanksgiving and praise and worship and, and using to pour out to other people to bless them in such a radical way that it points their hearts home to Jesus as well. Are we doing that? We're taking them back to their source. We're using them for what blessings are meant for. And three, that we would ask Jesus to overwhelm us with his beauty, with his worth, with his enoughness. And be satisfied in all that he is for all that we need. John Piper put it well. He wrote, in the end, the sum of all beauty is Christ. And the sin of all worldliness is to diminish or lessen our capacity, our ability to see him and be satisfied in him and to show him compellingly to a dying world. If you've accumulated or you want to and yet you're unsatisfied, this is the satisfaction that you seek. Jesus is your enoughness. Jesus alone is enough to satisfy you and me. The question is, will we spend our whole life trying everything else and more and different before we come to that realization? Or will we take Jesus' word for it this morning and do that now and come home? Let's pray. Lord, you are so good. You are so good. And we're grateful for your blessings. But we're more grateful, Lord, to you. And we repent. And we come before you broken because we know that we've wanted your stuff more than we have wanted you. The very things that you've given us, the very people you've given us, to point our hearts back to you because of our brokenness, because of our sin. We've allowed it to do the exact opposite, to make our hearts hard and turn them from you and go on the path to deserting you. Jesus, we, we confess if some of us here have not allowed you to be the amen in our lives, the all that, the everything, we've let you be just a something. And Lord, you are, you are the amen. We are sorry for not finding our enough in you and seeking it in the things of this world. Lord, um, we've used you to get what we want. It's like we've used people and both are wrong. Lord, we've even used our religion to get you to do what we want, to give what we want. And Lord, what we want, what we need is not a what, but a who. We need you. So come, Lord Jesus. Forgive us. Remake us. We've not loved you. Lord, you've given us much. We've allowed that to, um, to forget you. And Lord, uh, you are good and you are gracious. You always reveal yourself. And you always reveal who we are. And the blessing of the gospel is because of your cross, because of your love. 
Jesus, you show us the way home to bring those two things, who you are and who we are, back together, no matter how far apart they are. We want to take you up on that. Thank you. In Jesus' name.